Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, let's go right to the phones. Joining us, as he does every week at this time, Nate Zielinski. And, you know, Nate, I was thinking about this bear tractor thing. I wonder if that's why my mom and dad used to give me a peanut butter sandwich and peanut butter and jelly and tell me to go walk through the woods. I don't know. That's probably exactly it. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Nate, we are, um, I know we're going to talk ice fishing. We are encountering, you know, conditions look like they're going to freeze and firm up. And then you get some warm days with that intense sun that's this time of the year. And it looks like the ice is gone. Then it cools off. We got good opportunities in the mountains. What the heck's going on? You know, Terry, it, it is. It's one of those times of year, and it, it, it's hard to, to kind of really pay attention to because it can change literally by the day. I mean, you look at, let's just say Cherry Creek right now. There are anglers fishing kind of over by the marina where there's open water, and they're throwing jerk baits, throwing jigs, and they're catching walleyes from shore with open water equipment. And then you jump literally a couple hundred yards to the south, and you're on eight, nine inches of hard ice, and we're, we're catching walleyes on the ice. Um, and that's pretty much the same thing at Chatfield. Main body of water, frozen solid. Inlet starting to show sign of open water. Um, but it's kind of one of those things that across the board, um, you know, we have open water conditions and we have great ice fishing. Um, you know, with that said, I, I will say that we do have some of the best ice fishing of the year um, right now. And it's one of the first times that we've had pre-spawn walleyes in the front range. But you have to use caution because, again, even the path that you walked yesterday could change by the day. And not so much even as much as the, the ice melting with the intense sun. Whenever you get melt, you get increased flow. When we get increased flow, we get more current under the ice. And current will chew up ice far more than wind, rain, or in sun. Um, so that's kind of the biggest thing. But, I mean, right now we do have ice in the front range. Again, you got to use caution. you got to kind of know where you're at. Um, don't get fooled by the thick ice because we all know that spring ice gets ice rot. And obviously thickness, even though we always judge ice by thickness, really ice quality is everything. So don't get, uh, you know, don't get swayed by saying, oh, it's, you know, six, eight, nine inches. It's good. Um, you know, check the quality, watch your expansion cracks and, and all that kind of stuff. But there is ice on the front range and obviously the mountains have a lot of ice. And kind of my goal today was kind of talk about predators because that's what we've been doing. I have a, a kokanee trip this week. I have a walleye trip this week. And after that, I am pretty much glued to Lake Trout and Pike um, until about, you know, up into August if, or into April, uh, if not almost through April. Because this right now is the time when those big pike, the big lake trout through the ice, they get agitated. They get angry. They get aggressive. Um, and it is time for those big giant predators. It's one of those things that, you know, early in the year I go out on the lake and no, not that you're ever competing with other anglers for spots, but, you know, people are out and about. This time of year, a lot of anglers are, are kind of over it. They're tired. They're hanging up the ice gear, getting out the open water, prepping the boat. Um, you know, so we get out on these lakes and there's nobody here. You have them to yourself. And there's some big fish to be caught in the spring. And I think anybody that's done a lot of that predator fishing in the spring knows what I'm talking about. Oh, absolutely. Because, you know, their metabolism gets going. They're, they sense what time. The solar period of the day changes for them. People don't realize it's just not the water temperatures. And, you know, the pike are thinking about getting ready to spawn. The lake trout are thinking about feeding heavy before the water opens up and they go deeper. It's just... um a lot going on. 
One thing when you get back to the safety I wanted to mention, too, is though, as you see this ice recede from shore, as we're seeing now in the front range, you can get across there and maybe you jump across, you put a board across. You get a lot of wind out there right now, and it shifts that ice. Things can get treacherous in a hurry, or you might not get off. I just wanted to bring that up. But let's go back to your lake trout and pike. How are you approaching it? How do you decide where you're going? Absolutely. So, you know, let's just talk, uh, let's just talk pike to start off with. So they are in a pre-spawn state. So generally speaking, these fish are moving into shallower water. So I would say the given day, I am in 10, maybe 12 feet of water or less. Um, yeah, so my main focus is probably more the, the four feet of water to 10 feet of water. And they're hanging on weed lines, he- hanging on like real slow dropping slopes or little points. Um, so they are hanging anywhere where they can get food. So almost like a walleye on funnel point. So weed lines, small, slow slope on points, um, things like that. And they're just hanging and or cruising those kind of contour edges where there's a lot of food. Um, so you have to kind of ask yourself, what is the food source where you're at? People don't realize, you know, how many of our fisheries have suckers. So many people don't catch them. So they just assume they're not there, but a lot of our fisheries have a sucker population. Those suckers will spawn in March and April, depending on where you're at. But we're definitely seeing the suckers move on to the soft mud um, as they kind of get ready to spawn. And, you know, everybody thinks about the predator fish, but they don't think about the prey. So really, it's those suckers moving shallow. It's the rainbows moving into, like, the inlets, those real young stalker rainbows. So the food source is becoming shallow, and that's where those big pike are showing up. And that's pretty much the same thing for those lake trout. So we're really utilizing and thinking about the food source. So, you know, inlets coming in, shallow water structure, weed line, you get suckers in there, you get rainbows in there, and that's where those big pike are at. Um, Now, a typical year for pike, let's say, you know, you're out there in May, June, July, so much of our pike fishing is kind of an all-day experience. Um, Now, it can definitely be all day on the ice, but we definitely put a little bit more focus on the lower light periods um, and more so even in the afternoon. If you had to say a a key time right now, if I can only fish a couple hours a day for pike, I'd probably put a big influence on that like 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. That later afternoon window has been very good. It almost gives the water time to warm up, let the sun get on the ice, and even though it sounds silly, uh, it does have that effect and they just get going but without a doubt pike right now is the thing um they're shallow so they're easier to find they're aggressive so your bait doesn't have to be as flawless um again pike can be tricky to the ice regardless of if you're you know using conventional tackle using baits tip-ups whatever the case may be everybody thinks that you know putting a dead sucker down there is something easy to do but Everything has to be right to trick a big pike that's really well fed. Um, and this time of year, they're starting to make just a few more mistakes. So it's definitely easier on the angler to, to coax those fish into taking the bait right now. So it is time, time to get out. So shallow water, weed lines, contour changes, anywhere we have that food source. And after that, it's all about big bait. Um, you know, whether you're want to jig the fish or whether you want to, you know, use the bait type situation, it's all about big bait. So we're running, you know, dead suckers in that eight to 12 inch window. Uh, you can have a situation of getting some water dogs, big water dogs. Um, we're running a lot of 
big plastic baits, whether it's a big tube jig or like a 10-inch finesse minnow, um, your goal is big presentations. This time of year, these fish absolutely want a meal, so they, they want that food. If you have a smaller presentation down there, uh, you simply just don't appeal to them. They have no interest. They know that everything they feed on has to, to provide that nutrition for their body as they get ready for spawn, so it's a big presentation right now, and that's probably the, the one of the one of the mistakes that we see anglers making is fishing baits that are too small. Uh, so don't go deep, don't fish small baits, and then that's kind of the trick to the big pike right now. You know, that's a great point for pike, lake, lake trout, and a lot of other species, even big rainbows and browns, is that people, you know, they think about Colorado as a fly fishing state, and they think about these little bugs and stuff, but I'll tell you what, you go up to the Delaney's for the big browns, a great big jerkbait, maybe five, six inches long is going to be better than a three-inch one. People are very timid about using big baits in Colorado. It takes them some time to get over that mindset. I agree, Terry. And you have to think about what the fish are feeding on. I mean, those browns are are feeding on big food sources, and they're aggressive. And when you look at the average pike, the average big lake trout, I mean, they don't get that size by feeding on minnows. I mean, they are eating on a large food source. I mean, everything a pike eats right now is, you know, somewhere in that 10 to 16-inch range. And when we say that, you take out a tape measure, you look at a bait, nobody's using a 16-inch bait, but you could. So, you know, when you look, tape, you know, lay out a tape measure at you know 10 to 16 inches, which is their average food source for a pike, and you lay your little tube jig or your small presentation next to it, and you realize that very soon, you know, you're not appealing to those fish. So have that confidence, that big profile. It calls the fish in, um, and it definitely, again, you have to appeal to them. And it's one of the bigger mistakes that anglers use, and that's on, honestly, both the, the pike and the lake trout world. Uh, I'm actually at a, on a photo shoot right now. I'm in the middle of the lake catching lake trout right now. And uh, I talked to a gentleman at the boat doctor this morning. Same thing. He saw one of my rods I was rigging up and he goes, what are you fishing for? I'm like, you know, lakers. And he goes, no way something's going to hit that big bait. And, you know, it was an eight inch tube jig, but even that's not that big compared to what these fish eat on a given day. I mean, you see lakers that'll spit up suckers that are 15, 16, 17 inches. Um, I mean, these fish are big and they have an appetite for sure. No, you're, you're absolutely right. Now, do you change where you fish this time of the year for the, the lake trout? And I know you said it's really based on the food source, and that is so true. But do you typically see the food in a little different places than the pike, or is it similar? We are. We're seeing the, the lake trout are definitely almost in the same boat and moving shallower. So inlets are, are loading up with suckers and rainbows. Um, and not so we're still fishing a little bit more structure for the lake trout. So the pike is weed lined soft bottom, um, you know, and slower contour. The Lakers, we actually want a harder contour. So uh, when we say harder, we're looking for underwater rock piles, rock points, um, but steeper. You almost want it like a walleye where, you know, you drill a hole here and it's 20 feet and then you drill a hole 10 feet away and it's 25, 30 feet. So you really want some steeper contour, but we're definitely seeing the fish in shallower water to where, you know, we were seeing our bigger Lakers say a month ago, you know, just take a given depth of like 30 to 50 feet on structure we're now seeing those fish in 15 20 feet um i mean i have some bites that are going on right now where i'm in less than 10 feet of water uh but but definitely regardless of you know what you're thinking about it's shallower than you think and if you had a pattern going in january early february whatever pattern you were on if you've lost your fish now 
I promise you they will be shallower. So that's probably the biggest concept to take from it is big presentations and shallower. But the Lakers right now, if you take knowledge of like a walleye, for example, find contour, find shallow water, um, and fish those big presentations. But contour is the key. I think so many of our lake trout anglers, Terry, are, are just notorious for, you know, a three-inch white tube jig go out to deep water. Uh, you catch numbers, and you hope one day a, a big fish comes by. And I'm not saying it won't, but generally speaking, it's very rare for us to see our big lake trout with our smaller lake trout. Now, our pike will definitely, you know, kind of co-mingle. You can get a 20-inch hammer handle pike and a 40-incher on the next fish. Lake trout, not so much. Kind of similar to the walleye. They definitely have a separation. Those younger fish are feeding on a different food source, and those big fish are on, obviously, a larger food source. So major separation in the school. So honestly, when I'm lake trout fishing, if I drop down and catch a 20-inch or 25-incher, that's kind of a negative in my mind. Wherever I'm at, I can almost guarantee I will go shallower than that because those bigger fish more than likely aren't going to be with those younger ones. My biggest lake trout in Colorado came at Granby, and it was, you know, 20-plus pounds, maybe pushing 30, and it came in nine feet of water on a huge jigging spoon. So, yeah. <laughs> now, when you when you do your, your presentations, uh, I know you like a lot of tip-ups for pike, and they are also effective for lake trout. We've got maybe a minute or two left. How are you dividing up your presentations between an active presentation and tip-up for both fish right now? Definitely. So on the, the pike side, as long as my guests that I'm taking out guiding that day, as long as they're comfortable using tip-ups or using bait, we're pretty much 100% on that. Um, I have a lot of guests that want to use rod and reel, so we'll switch up to jigging you know, techniques then, and we're fishing spoons. And like I said, those big, more like finesse minnows, big plastics. Um, but but if it's a given day where I where the customer or guest is excited to use bait, we're pretty much almost always large dead suckers, just because that is hands down producing the biggest fish. Um, on the lake trout side, rarely do we use bait. Um, most cases, we're just using bigger spoons. So we pour, excuse me, larger uh, big tube jigs and big plastic. So um, I'm running, you know, my tube jigs, a small bait can be six inches. A big bait can be more than 10 inches. Uh, then we use a lot of, like I said, those big minnows, uh, big finesse minnows and, and large plastics, almost like a big... Uh, um, uh, just larger, like almost worms, like bass worm style baits. Um, and we're going to use those even up to 12 inches. So big plastics. But the biggest thing is the pike want to sit and stare at a bait before they take it. The lake trout want to hunt it down. So on the lake trout side, we're running more jigs just because we can get crazier with our action. Um, you know, we're swimming it up and down the water column, pounding bottom and snapping it up. So many lake trout anglers are kind of notorious for just that slow bounce on bottom. And there's a time and a place for it. But right now, we're doing major swimming motions with very large bait. And those fish can see it from a distance. They come screaming in. That hunting instinct kicks in. uh, And you're in for a ride. All right, my friend, we are running out of time. If people want to get a hold of you, whether to book a trip or get more information, how do they do that? Absolutely. Just Tightline Outdoors. You can look us up on the website, on Facebook. Uh, we have a lot of trips going. Again, we're still booking walleye trips. Uh, we probably will be coming to a close of that soon on the front range. But if you want to get on a last-minute trip there, we have that. We have bass. We have salmon, pike, and lake trout all going strong through the ice. And then, as always, we're always booking our open water trips. You want to get that scheduled. So, yeah, get a hold of us. We'd love to get you on the water. And, my friend, people can come see you at ISE. ISE opens the uh, 24th through the 27th. We'll be getting the schedule up online soon, and you will be one of the presenters. I'll be there. All right, my friend. Talk to you soon. Soon. All right.
Nate Zielinski, always a great resource. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, we're going to change up tactics or subjects, rather. We're going to switch from fishing to dog training. And we had, last time Ben was on, Ben Garcia, our dog training specialist, we got the question, how old is too old to train a bird dog? So we're going to talk about that. But we're also going to talk about, should you hunt your dog? before you get it trained. So we got a lot to bring. We have lots more coming up. Got more ISE tickets to give away. Stay with us on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors and 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We did have a winner of our last question to get ISE tickets. The, what was a bear attractant? And the three, the three potentials were garbage bird feeders and pet food and they they chose garbage and we'll have some more tickets to give away and by the way the song teardrops in my eyes by wickstrom and dobreth is not a bear attractant even though you tried to sneak that in as an answer to the question this last time but you never know when that could come up we still have more tickets to give away let's go to the phones and joining us he's also a music aficionado with his own Pieces are out streaming, but we know him as our expert dog trainer from Hideaway Kennels, Ben Garcia. Good morning, Ben. Good morning, Terry. How are you doing? I'm doing well, and you and I have never really we talked a little bit on the phone, but we'll have to play guitar together someday. We'll have to do that for sure. Yeah, some spring and summer around the corner is the best time of year to do it for sure. So, it could involve an adult beverage. I, I hope so. <laughs> I really hope so. It, it, it always brings out the truth of how good of a player you are, doesn't it? And so, well, like, it, makes just, me, it makes me think I sound better. <laughs> I, I, yeah, we, we always joke. You start imagine, imagining you can do stuff you never knew you could do. You know, yeah. And, uh, yeah. It's, it's too fun. And so, yeah. Hey, uh, last week, after just as we were finishing up, we got a question from somebody, and we told them we'd talk to you about this next time you came on the air. And they wanted to know how old is too old to train a bird dog. It's a great question, and, and it's a fun one to, to look at and explore and to think about. And um, it depends on one or two things. Like if, if you're thinking obedience and you have a dog you just want to do some new obedience things with, you can always change those things. You can always do whatever you want to do to think about new ways to train your dog, new ways to teach it to do things that are new. But when you get into, you know, like if you want them to sit at the door compared to running out, that's something you can work up up until, you know, they're 12 or 13. You get into bird dog stuff, it can kind of change some things. Um, we've been lucky. We've trained some dogs that are 9, 10 years old to hunt. But you have to have an honest conversation with the owner of, what are our limitations? What, what patterns of behaviors does this dog already have? You know, and, and part of it is if you have a dog that's 9 or 10, you want to start hunting. It's not to say you can't do it, but you have to, have to be honest with yourself is, can the dog hunt all day? Can the dog move around and jump, you know, jump in holes, jump in water? you know, do movements that might hurt it at that age. The other one that you kind of lose um, as dogs get older is their food motivation. You know, if you've been around a puppy, you can get them to do anything for a treat or food. You get a little bit of older dog, food doesn't mean as much to them. So you may have to get a program that's not food driven, but a little bit more, you know, movement driven with, with different leads and different rewards compared to just a treat like you can do with a puppy. And, um, and then you also got to watch when you get older dogs, they, they don't forgive as much. They've, they've got their pattern figured out of what they want to do is risk reward, you know, and they got to figure out like, Hey, is, is this worth me doing? And what's my reward to do it? So generally if you get an older dog, that you're training it's better to do some pets some praises they already know what that is they know what their reward is from you that they stop liking treats but there's not really an age 
you can't train them. They can learn up until they can't process. The, the other one you got to think about those dogs get older is can they hear and can they see? You know, Terry, that's something you got to think about is if their vision's going at nine or 10 and you start trying to do hand directions and bad casts, you're maybe hitting an impossible with a dog that can't just focus on what you're doing. So, um, you know, we've seen some older dogs trained with, uh, with vibrations, you know, or collars or some different things that teach them where the owner's at if they can't hear or see anymore. Yeah, it sounds like that there's possibilities and, and you can correct what I'm going to say, but my feeling when you're looking at it, and this has been kind of my experience too with some of my own dogs when I was younger is that, you know, some dogs, you buy them young, you train them to hunt and their main interaction with you is in the field, even though you may have, they may be a house dog, you may interact, but you're probably taking right. a companion now, a dog that you really got a relationship with and you're taking it outdoors to do something different together. And so your expectation of that experience needs to be different, but it doesn't have to be bad. No, you just have to be honest with yourself. You know, I mean, you can't, you, you don't want to compare your dog to your friend's dog that's a guide. You know, if you have a six-year-old yeah. dog be like, hey, I think I want to take up hunting. You can't say, well, my dog, my friend's dog who's a guide does X, Y, Z, because that dog's been interacting with since it was eight weeks old to be at that level. But go out and have fun. I mean, have fun with your dog, have a companion, come home, let him be your family dog and, and reward him for the good job he does. But you just have to be honest with yourself of where you want to go and how you're going to get there. And, um, it's not hard. Dogs are an amazing animal. Terry, as you know, they can, they can learn so much so quickly. And so oh, they're so, so intelligent. You know, I was going to yeah. say, I always thought a dog was better than a spouse, but I'm going to get hit for this because no matter what you do, where you go, you come home, the dog gives you unconditional love and never wants to know what you were doing. But that's for another yeah. session. <laughs> I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you handle that one on your own. <laughs> yeah. Hey, but, yeah. but what we've yeah. talked about does lead us to another question. Should I hunt? If I have a new dog and say I'm signing up with right. hideaway kennels to get it trained by you guys, you know, and you, first it's got to reach a certain age and you're going to give me some ideas on discipline training. We've covered that in the right. past, but can I take it in the field to hunt it before you start training it? You know, I, and every trainer is going to have a different theory on this, but I think consistently what they'll all say is I would say no. Um, what I like to do, if I have a puppy, I'll give the answer first and I'll give you the why not. If I have a little puppy and we're going hunting, um, I generally take them hunting on a trip, but I leave them in the truck in a crate. And then when we all come back to the truck, I may let them out to hang out with all the other hunters and throw some dead birds from when the other dogs are up. And that's generally what I like to do with them uh, until they go to training. But we, what I have seen personally from dogs to get hunted before they get trained is you're always having to fix something. Like you never want to send your dog to a trainer to have problems fixed. You want them to learn. And when they get a hunt before training, you're just always fixing some problem. And then I'll give you an example of when we see a lot is with labs. What happens is our flushing breeds is they get to go out on a hunt. You know, they're bird driven. They love to retrieve and, and they start blowing birds out the front end. And what I mean by that is they're out of range or 60, 70 yards out and they start bumping birds and then everybody starts shooting them and then they're rewarded with the retrieve. So what they learn is, Hey, I'm just going to run out there, have a bunch of chaos and get a retrieve and get, get a reward for it. And then as a trainer, what you have to do is go, okay, let's slow down. Let's, let's go out. Let's quarter. Let's use the wind. Let's look at the objectives. Let's stay in range so you're not blowing birds out. And then you have a struggle with your dog and the trainer to start with. Compared to if you had a puppy that didn't know those things, they can go, hey, if I follow the trainer and do my quartering and use the wind, a bird gets up, I get a reward for it. And then you're setting a positive pattern of behavior compared 
to a negative that then has to be created, corrected later in life. And, um, with pointers, what we see a lot is where they get out of range, they get out of pocket and they start bumping birds. And, uh, I mean, they may be a hundred, 200 yards out bumping birds and, and they've got the reward of the chase, you know, and animals love that chase. It goes back to some primal things in them that they love. So you really want to take away that chase. You want to take away those things before, you know, or not even have them be a factor before they go to a trainer and have, have something before a positive. And, and I was thinking about like with fish and Terry, you know, like, you know, you could go to some of the hot spots in the world when you're learning to fish and catch a ton of fish. It doesn't mean you're doing it right. You know, oh, yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're putting that, you know, I mean, you talk about fishing a lot, you know, if you're putting in your time and you're learning, you know, what rig to use, what fly to use, looking at the current, looking at bubbles, you know, and you start learning all those little things in the long run investment of your fishing career, you're going to have a better result. And it's the same with the dog, you know, yeah. Can they go out and flush a bird and you shoot it and they go get it? Yeah. But are they chewing on the bird? Are they carrying the bird correctly? You know, um, are they playing keep away with other dogs and, and learning bad habits that. So there's a lot of things in there that I just think it's worth doing your obedience, doing your, your homework, getting it to a trainer and really letting them learn how to hunt correctly. It's much now, more one important. last, so, one last, one last question before we let you go. We only got about a minute or so left, but yeah. you said a few weeks ago, it's a great time of the year to be getting a puppy, getting it ready for next yeah. fall. Are we still in that window or are we running out of time? We're still good. I mean, you're still good for some of the, the, the mid-season stuff. You know what I mean? Like duck and, and pheasant and all that, we're still right in line. For the for the folks that like to hunt grouse and ptarmigan early, you're starting to push it. But you still could. It just depends on the age of your dog and, and what your summer plans are. You know, you wouldn't want to get a puppy right now, get it in for training, and then you're going to be gone all summer not doing your homework. You know, that's going to be a big factor in it. But if you get a little puppy right now, start working on it, yeah, you should be pretty good for the fall. And and I think the thing to think about, too, is we're, we seem to be having later falls than, than we used to. So it, it's not, you know, I mean, typically we would say, like, you want to be ready to go by mid-August with your dog. But this last season, it didn't cool down until November. You know, I mean, you were having a lot of talks about hunting in the heat with dogs. So I think there's a little bit of play in that, but you just definitely want to start planning out Booking one is booking hunts. If you're going to go to another state and book, I mean, I think all the, you know, you got to start looking at guides and places because they're all booking up. You know, the, the sporting industry is just blown up. And, and booking a place to hunt, if you're going to do a private place, you know, I'd be booking it with your dog also. All right, my friend, I'm going to let you go. Um, people would want to contact you. How do they do that? Yeah, they can find us on our webpage at hideawaykennels.com or on Facebook at Hideaway Kennels. All right, we will talk to you in a couple weeks. Thanks, Sarah. Have a great weekend. You bet. Ben Garcia from Hideaway Kennels. Great information. Always helpful with the dogs. We think the dogs can be are such a big part of a lot of outdoor people's lives in so many ways. We're going to take a timeout. We come back. One of our favorite partners is back after a short timeout, and they're going to rejoin us for the rest of the year, Colorado Clays, and we're going to talk some shooting on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Too bad JR is waiting on the line because I like this song. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors and 1043 The Fan. Let's go to the phones. And joining us from Colorado Clays is JR Pierce. Good morning, JR. Good morning, Terry. I almost left you on hold for a while. I was going to listen to that song. I love the Eagles. They're not right. as good you as You run the risk of me breaking into song, and we all know what happens when that goes on. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, their Eagles aren't as good as Wickstrom and Dobrith and all their hits that you hear played in the bumper coming in here, but they're uh, they're pretty good. Not too bad. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, my friend. You know, a lot of things have gone on at Colorado Clays. We we missed you for a couple weeks there, but glad to know that you're partnered with us. We love having you on for the this year again. And people have questions, of course. You know. We need to probably revisit an overview, but I think the very first thing is it's pretty much public knowledge. The state of Colorado bought Colorado Clays. It's owned by state parks now. But So what changes am I going to see? Well, and that's a good point, uh, Terry, and that is a big topic right now. But I can go ahead and report that the Colorado Clays property um, sold and is now owned by the state of Colorado. The good news uh, for everyone is that Corey and I have leased the property back from the state and will continue to run Colorado Clays exactly like we have for all these years. You know, and many folks are asking questions like, do I need a parks pass or any kind of special permit or anything to visit Colorado Clays? And you do not. Um, Our past, our present and future customers will not notice any difference when they come to enjoy an outing at Colorado Clays. We have all of the same ranges, the same hours, the same staff, and the same opportunities for individuals, groups, and events. And Terry, I think with our new partnership with the state, uh, we feel things can only get better. So we're very excited for this coming year, and we want everyone to come join us. So tell people that maybe are new to Colorado Clays, what do you have out there? Well, that's a good point, Terry, and it's good to touch on that because I know um, you get lots of new listeners all the time, and I'd uh, be glad to go over what Colorado Clays is all about. So Colorado Clays is and has been for over 25 years now Colorado's premier public access shooting facility. Uh, we feature the very finest ranges, fields, and courses for rifles, pistols, trap, skeet, wobble trap, and sporting clay shooting. Now, uh, for example, our rifle and pistol facility is a state-of-the-art NRA-approved semi-indoor-outdoor hybrid design. So it really offers the best of both worlds for shooting rifles and pistols. And by that, um, what I mean is it has a shooting area that has concrete floors, padded benches and stools in each stall, lights, radiant heat, and really much, much more. So it has all the comforts of an indoor range. But downrange, rather than a roof, it has baffles so you can truly enjoy the natural light and airflow of an outdoor range. Um, We have 10 bays of rifle offering 50-yard intermediate and 100-yard targets. The 100-yard targets offer video viewing, meaning there is a camera on your target and a monitor in your bay, so you can literally do real-time sighting without any spotting equipment. The pistol side has all the same comforts and features, a 25-yard target return system allowing you to practice at your own personal preferred distances. So beautiful facility, you got to check that out. And of course, Terry, we still have our seven regulation ATA trap fields set up with either voice release or delay options. Uh, We have a training trap field with a straightaway target that is dedicated to just beginning shooters, shooting lessons, uh, gun um, dial-in, etc. What a great tool for anybody starting out um, or wanting to work with somebody else. 
to an SSA regulation skeet fields with wobble, wobble trap overlays on them. So, of course, uh, the game is skeet. People love it. Uh, very popular. But with those wobble trap overlays, there's truly no better preparation for hunting and particularly upland than uh, getting on one of those skeet wobble fields. And, of course, Terry, our incredible 15-station sporting place course uh, is in the Cottonwood Creek Bottom, one of the most beautiful and enjoyable sporting place ranges anywhere. Uh, and, of course, we can't forget the multitude of other services here at Colorado Clays. Uh, such as our shotgun patterning area, and I'm sure we'll be touching on that coming up, Terry. Uh, group uh, and event opportunities for whether it's corporate, whether it's fundraiser, uh, anything you can imagine. Today we have uh, the CU um, College Father Sunday going on. Uh, lessons and training for pretty much anything you can imagine. Leagues, uh, com- competitions, uh, just to name a few. And finally, Terry boasting the friendliest and most knowledgeable staff in the industry, Colorado Clays truly has something for every firearms enthusiast from the very beginner up to expert level. Well, you know, you've touched on a few things that we're really going to get in depth on over the next few weeks. And one of them, you mentioned your patterning board. You and I have had such uh, in-depth discussions based on that patterning board and we've got turkey hunting is right around the corner and people are going to need to start patterning very soon and you've accumulated so much knowledge over the years patterning on that that we're going to be sharing on the air i always look forward to that i think that sometimes it's almost startling what that patterning board tells us jr no, the information a person can get uh, from going to the Colorado Clays patterning area is uh, really just sometimes a revelation, Terry. Um, 20 to 50 yard uh, distance options, 42 inch um, backer with an aiming point, a uh, very simple process can reveal incredible information about your sporting gun, uh, trap gun, just home defense, you name it, that board uh, for a mere 10 bucks can tell you everything you need to know before you move on, uh, with it, whether it's hunting or um, uh, recreational shooting. You know, another thing out there you didn't mention that um, we got a lot of people getting more and more into just recreational shooting, just semi-competitive to have fun, sometimes very competitive. You run leagues out there. Are you going to have those this year, and what's the status? Uh, yeah, and you know, Terry, I'm glad you brought that up. We are going to have our leagues this year, and we do have some slots available. So uh, we are going to be running a Wednesday night uh, Sporting Clays League here starting Wednesday, March 16th. Um, the Wednesday night league, you can join as an individual or um, uh, be build a team, uh, five-person teams. The Sporting Clays League will be shooting from 2.30 till sundown on uh, Wednesday night starting the 16th. So any information you want on that, certainly give us a call. And then, of course, the Colorado Clays Wednesday Night Trap League, which has been a hit forever, uh, starts Wednesday, March 23rd. Uh, that is also a five-person team, but individuals can call in and we can build teams as well. Uh, the Trap League time slots start at 4.30 and go every hour, or half hour, so 4.35, 5.36, etc., until 7 o'clock. And uh, those are broke down, 
military so that you're literally competing with people in your skill range. Um, so the, the league will get broke down into groups, and the groups will compete against each other based on handicap and such, and it's just an absolute fun night. It is competitive. Um, anybody can uh, really improve their shooting and get a break in the middle of the week by coming out and joining up for the Colorado Clays Trap League as well. You know, I want to. You brought up sporting clay shooting from two thirty to sundown. Did yeah. I ever tell you my story when I was doing the celebrity sporting clays shoot, and we were the last group out and it was starting to get dark. Well, I I hadn't done a lot of sporting clays for years, and I hadn't even shot a lot of shotgun for years. I was there as a an outdoor writer, and they just threw us out there and gave us a borrowed shotgun. After several stations of being very inept at breaking clays. People were starting to look at me kind of, you know, like they were ready to give me a hard time when we got back to the to the clubhouse. But then it started really getting dark, and we had to hurry, and I ran the last six clays. And we got back there, and somebody said, yeah, those Minnesota guys can't shoot till it gets dark. I said, give them a flashlight. They never miss. <laughs> <laughs> well done, Terry. Way to represent. <laughs> yeah. Hey, one more quick thing I want to bring up before we let you go and tell people how to find you and where your location is. You and I last year started doing a series on types of guns, not recommending one, but going through the differences in different applications, whether it was a handgun or a shotgun. I don't think we did handguns yet. We did shotguns. We did some rifles. I want to bring that back. I think we should start doing that again, getting into how you, what characteristics you, not brand, but what characteristics you look for in a gun for your particular type of shooting. I think that really went over well, and we need to get back to that again, I think. I agree with that, Terry. And we did leave off, if I recall, with the pistols. Uh, there are so many options out there, uh, so many types of pistols, and each one can be um, specific to application, and some can be very broad. And I think getting that information out can really help people either in deciding what pistol to buy or what their gun might be most useful for. And uh, I, I'm excited to get back into that, definitely. I think it was a lot of fun, and we really get to, and we don't always agree. I mean, that's the important part is that it's fishing, hunting, shooting. Uh, there aren't, there's some absolutes, but not a lot. A lot of it is personal preference and how you like and what you like. So we're going to get into a lot of that. Before I let you go, tell people where Colorado Clays is located and the best way to find you. All right, Terry. Well, we're just north of DIA, east of Brighton, uh, just off of Interstate 76. Um, our phone is 303-659-7117, or you can go to coloradoclays.com. Uh, look it over, see what we're about. Take the virtual tour of the facility if you haven't been here. Uh, get an idea how our, our facility is laid out and all the options we have. And definitely um, make a trip out to see us. Uh, we're excited to have everybody. We think it's going to be another great year, Terry. All right, my friend. Um, I need to get back out there myself, but great talking to you. I'll talk to you again in a couple weeks. Okay. Thank you, Terry. All right, J.R. Pierce from Colorado Clays. By the way, I got two ISE tickets left to give away. And, you know, occasionally on this show, we play cuts from uh, an album my partner and I released that are on streaming and on social media. And under, there's a name, there's a, it's a two-word name or it's something and something that we 
do our recording under. First one to text 303-713-1043 and tell Karen the name of our music group. Gets two tickets to IAC that we'll leave, ISE that we will leave in will call. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, we'll wrap up this week's show on 104.3 The Fan. <laughs> Got you down and the world's crashing all around. You can always count on me. You're listening to Terry Wisdom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. That is a very appropriate last bumper song because we just gave away some ISE tickets. That was one of the songs off the current EP uh, by Wickstrom and Dobreth, which, which was the answer, and so we got some tickets given away. By the way, we are going to be giving away ISE tickets the next three weeks, even the Saturday of the show, so stay tuned in. We'll find different ways to toss things out there and give them away. We really want you to come down. We really want you to bring kids down there. We're going to set up some special things, especially on Sunday, but any day you can come. We really want to take care of the kids. By the way, before I move on to other <clears throat> outdoor things, I want to thank you folks for listening and searching out Wickstrom and Dobreth, our music group. If you haven't, go give it a listen. Just go to your favorite streaming service, search Wickstrom and Dobreth, see if you like any of the songs, give us some feedback. If you don't like it, that's fine too. Or search Wickstrom and Dobreth on your favorite social media. We're on Instagram, we're on Twitter, and we're on Facebook. So we'd love to get your feedback and and, and converse with you, and then we'll let you know when we're getting ready to release some more songs here very soon. So we'll keep you on the loop. Fishing licenses run out the end of March. You can buy your fishing license starting right now, and even if you don't have one, it'll be good through the end of next March. So you can get almost 13 months out of it. But even if you do have one, it doesn't short-circuit or cost you anymore. It's still good till the end of next March. We're going to see conditions changing. We're going to see people who don't ice fish getting out, more open water fishing. Make sure you get your license. Easy to do. I don't even buy my own. Karen goes online and buys it. So it's so easy to do. You get a little transaction piece with you that you can carry with you, and that will... uh, and that's all you need until your license comes and you don't have to worry about it. In addition, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to cover some apps where you can actually have a digital copy of your fishing license with you. So you don't have to remember to take it with you or have it in your wallet when you're out. So we'll, we'll have, we're going to talk more about that as we get into things. I want to say one more time about Bill Wilson. Bill Wilson is a local bass angler, tournament angler, who's just given so much to the community, especially kids. Uh, today at 3.50 on the, just before the weigh-in of the Bassmaster Classic today, he's going to be honored as the Humanitarian of the Year. Now, he's been the director of CAST for Kids in Colorado for, I think, over 25 years. I know he's been involved, like 27. He gives so much time and energy to the kids. So he's going to re- receive that award. He's also going to receive, receive the Larimer County Ranger Brendan Unit Award for his humanitarian efforts. There's posts on my Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, that will take you to where you can watch this streaming and also explain the awards and how humble Bill is. And I just want to support him. What a great guy. Couldn't happen to a better person. He made the comment, I always wish I would get on the Bassmaster Classic stage for being a good fisherman. He goes, I guess I'm getting up there for being a good person. And that's so well said. Our 
congratulations to Bill Wilson. Also want to remember, we're going to have fishing rods on Sunday of ISE to give away to kids. Eagle Claw Wright McGill has donated 50 rods. So please, you know, pay attention to what we're going to have going on. Come any day you can. But for families, new fishermen, kids getting in, women getting into fishing, Sunday at ISE will really, really, really be the day. We're going to wrap things up. Um, join us every Saturday from 9 to 11. Occasionally we get bumped over to ESPN because of a sporting thing. I think there's one day this month where the uh, NCAA basketball tournament will be going on. We'll get bumped over. But other than that, we're here 9 to 11. Follow us on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. Follow our social media for our music, Wickstrom and Dobreth. We'll let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour and more sports on 104.3 The Fan.